0: Well, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, and while you're turning there, let me remind you, as a church, we pray together corporately at 1 o'clock every day, uh, for one minute every day, for one thing every day. So uh, this week, I want us to continue to pray as we have prayed in, uh, every week in 2019. The one thing I want to encourage you to pray for at 1 o'clock with me is the one person uh, in my life, in my sphere of influence, who is far from God, uh, pray that they would find new life in Jesus Christ in 2019, and pray how that God would use you uh, to be an instrument uh, in, in their lives, uh, how that God would use you to build a bridge uh, to them in their, in their life toward Jesus, that they might see Jesus in all of His love and His grace and His glory. Uh, and so, Uh, That is the one thing I want to encourage you to pray for, 1 o'clock, 1 minute every day. Uh, Go ahead and set your alarms. The second thing is at the end of the rows, there are these uh, green cards. It says, and everybody take one, it says, 1st Baptist Norfolk, 2019, Scripture Memory. Now, what we're doing in 2019, beginning today, is we will memorize 1 uh, verse or one passage of Scripture every week as a church. This is important for our church uh, to uh, uh, commit ourselves to this journey of memorizing Scripture so that we might have uh, a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path, so that, so that our hearts might live in tune with the living God and, and we would not fall prey to sin. Uh, so that our church would be stronger and healthier. So we are going to go on this journey together as a church of committing ourselves to memorize Scripture, to get us started. So everybody go ahead and get one. If you haven't got one, uh, just raise your hand. Kurt Breeland is running around. He's trying to find some. Uh, there are some down here. Frank, could you get the ones that are there and pass them around? If you don't have one, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. We want everybody to have one. Uh, and it's easy because this week, uh, this week we are uh, memorizing John 3:16 and 17. Okay, so I think everybody can handle this. Go ahead. There are some behind you. Pass that uh, to those. Uh, I think everybody can kind of handle John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes we forget verse 17, uh, and that's the one that you'll probably have to work on, uh, and we'll talk about that. But uh, next week, we're going to have a time where we stand together as the body of believers called First Norman. We're going to recite John three sixteen and 17 together. It's kind of the test. Uh, not really an exam. You don't fail. You don't miss any, uh, you know, you don't get demerits for not doing it. But uh, it, it is a great journey for us to take together. Then on February 3rd, the week of February 3rd, we're going to memorize Psalm 16, verse 11. And once you see it, you'll be familiar with it. It's one of those verses that you have said before. Um, and so we're trying, trying to ease into it, but we're going to, by the end of this journey, each of us have memorized uh, 40 to 50 Bible verses, uh, over 50 verses, uh, 40 or 50 Bible passages Uh, By the end of 2019 and friends, I got to tell you a church is going to be stronger When the word of god is poured into our hearts like that Uh, So please take this journey with us jump in at any point in time that you uh, Can and desire it's going to be a great time. All right We are concluding uh, this uh, series on the church where we've uh, sought to discover the beauty of the church. We began with uh, ephesians chapter 5 where uh the Apostle Paul tells us to love uh, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. Uh, and he goes on, he says that through the washing of the water by the word, Jesus might present to himself a glorious church or a beautiful church or a beautiful bride. Uh, and we looked uh, how that Jesus calls the church, this church, First Norfolk, calls us beautiful. It's an amazing thing that we are beautiful as he looked at us lately. He calls us beautiful, and that's because he has made us beautiful by his love. Uh, We are beautiful because Jesus died on a cross for our sin and was raised from the dead to give us new life. He's brought us together by his spirit uh, so that we are the body of Christ, and he calls us beautiful. But uh, Ephesians 5 says that he... uh, he uh, uh, through the washing of the water, by the word, makes uh, presents to himself a beautiful bride without spot or blemish. Now, this is where we have to do some work. See, one of the things we know is that the church, our church, this church, there is a gap between the beauty that Jesus says we are because of his great love and his grace and the, and the blemish that's in our life. And so, and in our church, there is a blemish and there is a beauty. And every time we get together, our job, every time you sit under the teaching or the preaching of God's word or the singing of God's word or with the people of God in the church, the goal is to diminish the blemish. Okay? That is our goal. Today, As we even before we take communion, the goal is to diminish the blemish. All right? So that there is a smaller gap between... First, Norfolk's beauty that we are and the blemish that we see. So we're going to diminish the blemish. Uh, Then we looked at how it is love that makes the church beautiful. It is is the love of Christ for us, sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. But it's also the love that we display toward one another uh, that displays our beauty. We see this in Ephesians 4, uh, 32 through uh, 5, 2. Uh Ephesians 4:32 it says be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you chapter 5 verse 1 and be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God so, so we are to love others the way Jesus has loved us John 13, 34, Jesus said, this is how the world's gonna know that you're my disciples. This is how how we distinguish distinguish ourselves as the beauty of the church that he's called us to be. It is by our love one for another. And then we saw how the church displays her beauty through worship. And we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses one through eight, beginning in verse one, it says, "I I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship, and do not be conformed any longer to this mo- to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove that which is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And then he goes on and describes how that we are to do that. in Verses three through eight. So worship displays our beauty. Today uh, we're going to look at communion and how uh, communion. Uh, is one of the beauty, beauty marks of the church, communion itself, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, you know, some of y'all have gone to buy uh, rings for spouses or uh, fiancés or things like that, or fiancés or spouses, you've gone to buy rings yourself so that your husband will do it right. You go and you get it. But if you ever go to the jeweler and you say I need a ring like if I were to go I need a ring for Edie and I want to look at your diamonds and they'll come out and you see they don't just take their diamonds the five carats and the eight carats and the ten carats they don't because it is for Edie and they don't just take those and plop them out on the glass countertop. They take those diamonds And they spread out a a dark black uh, cloth or uh, mat of some sort. And then they present the diamonds with that dark backdrop. In order to display and bring out the greater beauty of the diamond. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that's what Paul is doing. As you read verses 17 all the way to verse 34. We won't do that, but if you were to read that, you would see that he has is, he is laid out this dark backdrop of how the church at Corinth is doing it wrong. Uh, let me read just a few of these verses, beginning in verse 17. Um, uh, now, and this is Paul. Now, in giving these instructions, I don't praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear you, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, verse 20, when you come together in one place, even though you say it's to eat the Lord's Supper, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. That's the point in verse 20, verse 21. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry while the other is drunk okay so this is the this is the potluck dinner at the church okay and not all the food is getting to all the people in fact the richer people or the people who have means or the people who are in the club whatever the club may be they come early they have their candlelit tables set up with the best uh, uh, chefs cooking the meal and the best wine. Obviously, it's the good stuff with the kick, not the Baptist stuff that we're going to drink in a minute. Um, y'all, some of y'all really don't know how to take it when I do stuff like that, do you? You're like, w- what's he saying? Is that really a Baptist? Is he, that's a Baptist preacher. Did he say something about wine? Anyway, uh, so uh, it just clear, simple hermeneutics interpretation. If they are getting drunk, they're drinking stuff to get them drunk. Okay? All right. Does that make sense? So the wine had some kick to it. All right? And, and, and just, just so you know, now Paul's not saying it's a good thing. He's not really saying it's a bad thing. He's not saying it's a good thing. He's saying, hey, listen, uh, y'all are doing this wrong. He's saying you're getting together, you have the best meal, the best wine, and the people who are not part of your club or not part of your crew, not part of your clique, they're not invited And so they're on the outside looking in while you're on the inside having a grand old time. And then at the end of this meal, you're going to have communion and think everything's going to be okay. He said, no, it's not. Verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And then verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the same night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and he said, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a person examine himself. Let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. All right, so let's break this down for a little bit and just kind of talk about it. I want you to go back to verse 17, and I want you to think about verse 17, which is the dark backdrop. It's... Paul's trying to display a diamond, but the backdrop is very dark. It's, it's filled with the doom and gloom of the rebellion of the church at Corinth and the division and the disunity that's in the church at Corinth. And so what is the diamond? If the backdrop is the pain and the gloom and the, and the disunity, what is the diamond? Well, we see it in verse 17 if we flip verse 17 around. Okay, let me read verse 17, then let's flip it. Verse 17, Now, in giving these instructions... I do not praise you. Now, why doesn't he praise them? Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Okay? So that's that's why he doesn't praise them. Well, flip that on its head. What would it mean, what would it take for Paul to praise the church at Corinth? What causes Paul to praise the church at Corinth and... What causes God to praise our church is when we come together for the better and not for the worse. You see, really what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to compel the church to see that that we display the beauty of the church when we come together for the better. When we get together... For the better. And that's what wasn't happening at Corinth. And that's what Paul was trying to get them to go to. He's saying, listen, you're getting together and you are bringing division to the church when God's design is for this church to get together. And every time we get together, we are here to help each other be better. To help our church be better for the better. Okay, so let's look at this for a second. Let's just kind of evaluate it. All right, if God's design for the church is that every time we get together is for the better and not for the worse, then what does that look like here and now? Well, it means, like I read a few moments ago out of Philippians chapter one, verse 27, all the way to chapter uh, two, verse 11, um, when we get together for the better, it's not us trying to find the seat of privilege. It's not us trying to get the place where our preferences are met, it's not about us at all, but rather it is let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than himself. You see that? This is what Paul was jumping toward. He's saying, listen, when you get together, there are divisions because you are having your party. They had limited the gathering of church to just good times with a few close friends. Anytime, anytime we deform God's design of the church to be merely a get-together of a few close friends for our good times, then we have missed it all. And we're missing the beauty of the church. See, the beauty of the church is where we have gathered together to help each other be better. And the term for better there in verse 17 is a term that means stronger, healthier. It means means soaked in excellence. It means useful and productive. When we get together, right here, right now, our goal is to diminish the blemish. That's why we're here. It's not for me to be recognized and get my way and have my stuff and everybody think he's He's all that and more, and, and it's not for you to have your way. It's not even for us to get together with a few close friends and call this little gathering my church and say, that's all there is, just my little crew. No, the design that God has made is he has brought us all together as the body of believers called First Norma. Every single one here who is a follower of Jesus and, and you have linked your life with this family of faith, he has brought you here so that we All of us can get together to help each other be better. We're here to stir one another up toward love and good works. I'm here to help you be better. You're here to help me be better. And if we miss this, we've... um, Well, we've missed the design that God has given us as the body of Christ. Uh, I want you to turn to the person to your right and to your left and say, I am here to help you get better. One of the earlier services, a wife came up to me after the service and said, I told my husband I'm here to help you get better, and he didn't believe me. That's what she said. You just keep on pressing. That's why I said you just keep pressing on. And people after every hour, pastor, I'm here to help you get better. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I knew that right, yeah. But it's true. That's why we're here. I'm here not merely to be self-serving, not, 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 not to, to, to be all about self-interest. I'm here to look out not only for my own interest but for the interests of others. We've gathered here to help each other be better, be more useful, be soaked in the excellence of Christ. That's why we're here. The question is, are you part of that journey? Now, the very next thing Paul does is he then talks about communion. Now, why is communion connected to this journey of helping one another be better? Because communion is ground zero of why we are a church at all. See, we're a church not because in 1805 there's a group of people who wanted to cross the Elizabeth River and start a group, uh, a social gathering, where they could have uh, fried chicken and uh, uh, dances. That's, that's not what created First Norfolk. But rather it was a group in 1805 who crossed the Elizabeth River and determined that they needed to have a place where they could gather together to help each other be followers of Jesus for God's glory as a church and to advance the gospel around the world. And we are a product of that and we are a continuation of that. What establishes the church is not my goodness or limiting my badness, but rather what what establishes the church is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus died on a cross for sinners like you and me and that he was raised from the dead to give us a new chance at life. This is the simple gospel. That's what communion is. It's a celebration of the cup and the bread. The cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for us, shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. For the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken in that sacrificial act of giving life-giving love to you and to me. This meal is the unifier for us. And every time we get together and we take the bread and we take the cup, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus has brought us together. And we are here only by virtue of Him. But we are here together by virtue of Him. Communion, I want you to hear this. Communion is um, a participation that God initiated with us. Communion is a celebration of this participation that God has initiated with us. And it is a celebration and a recognition of the participation that we share together. Communion is not just vertical, it's also horizontal. It's me understanding that there is one big loaf of bread from which I'm tearing off my little piece of bread and that one big loaf of bread is Jesus himself. There is one body and there is one bread. Turn over just a few paragraphs to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. Again, Paul is talking about community. He's talking about the essential quality of community, of this gathering. We are the body of Christ. And communion is should be the meal that unites us together and reminds us why we are together, okay? So here's what he's talking about, verse uh, 16 and 17, chapter 10. This cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the participation, the koinonia, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the participation, the koinonia, Of the body of Christ. Verse 17. Now get this because this is so important for us today. For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. What is the one bread? There's only one bread. It's the bread of life. Jesus Christ the King. And Jesus is the bread from heaven. The one who has come to give life to all who turn to him by faith. And what Paul is saying is the church at Corinth, and yes, the church here at First Norfolk in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, God has brought us together, and we are one body. And when we take the cup, this cup of blessing, we're celebrating the fact that what has brought us into this, in this community of believers is Jesus died on a cross for me. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. And my sin has been forgiven through Jesus. But what we see in Ephesians 2 is that not only has he made us right with God, but he has given us community together. He has broken down the dividing wall that separated us so that we live in community because of Christ's shed blood. So that we are all um, participants In the promises of God. So that we all have been made alive together in Christ Jesus by grace. We have been saved. This body of believers, when we get together and we have communion, it's not just about me thinking about my salvation, but it's also about me thinking about our salvation. About who we are. How that we are brothers and sisters made part of the beloved family of the beloved. Not because of works that I've done, but because of Jesus' death Jesus' death on the cross. We are together. And so we get together to help each other be better because Jesus died for me and Jesus died for you. And we're brothers and sisters. And I want to help my brother or my sister be stronger. I want to encourage them, pray for them, help them, bear burdens for them. I want to to exhort them and even correct them. I want to love them. Because we're family, this cup of blessing which we bless is it not a communion with things? But then he talks about the bread and he says he says we are one bread, one body because we all share from the one bread, and that one bread is Jesus. So when you take in a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're part of this uh, of the body of Christ, and you take the cup, you think about Jesus died on the cross for me, but you also think Jesus died on the cross for person sitting to my left and sitting to my right and I'm committing myself to help them for the better. And you take the bread in your hand and and you remember even though it's a little cracker here, um, symbolically it represents the one loaf of bread from whence that little cracker came. That we all are part of that one loaf. We all share, come from the source who is Jesus. And so we are together. We we are together. Christ has made us one body together from the one bread who is Jesus. So you take that bread in your hand, think not only about Christ uh, and His sacrifice for my salvation, but think also that person sitting next to me, that person in front of me, We're in this together. I may not even know their name, but we are in this together. Turn to the person to your right and to your left. Say, I am here to help you be better. When we come to communion, oh, now y'all are getting excited. Y'all talking to each other a little bit more now. I guess saying it once is an okay thing. Saying it twice is more of a commitment. So y'all are really Y'all are trying to gear into it. Yeah, I'm here to make you better. When we take communion, understand that this is a celebration meal of all that Jesus has done for us so that we are part of God's family, but it's also a family meal where we are celebrating our community that we are in this together for the better. We take communion together, we're making a commitment to one another that indeed, yes, I am here and will continue to be here to help you for the better. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Now I pray that as we take communion together, as these men, these servants of the Lord, the deacons, pass the elements of the supper, I pray that you would help each of us Turn our hearts and tune our minds toward your great goodness and toward our participation in this family. Now be glorified in this act of worship and bring us back to the simple gospel. Jesus, you died on a cross for us and you rose again to give us new life. When we, by faith, turn from our sin and trust in you as Savior and King. You make us part of this family of faith. Now it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. In a moment, the deacons going to pass the elements and some of you uh, are not yet followers of Christ or not part of the body of Christ. And, and I want you to understand that the, it's just cracker and juice to you. That's all. No, Nothing about the cracker and juice going to do anything for you. Um, but if you are a follower of Christ, member of the body of Christ, then I want to encourage you to think about the picture that the bread and the cup what 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 picture that paints in your life sit and hold the elements and reflect on the person to your right and person to your left reflect on what jesus has done for you and then after everyone has been served i'll help us lead i'll lead us together to take part in this family meal Gentlemen, would you stand? Most of the time, when we do communion, it it's just here, just like this, right? And before we take communion, I want you to turn for the third time to the person to your right and to your left. Say, "I am here to help you be better." See, that is our commitment. That's the beauty of the church. And communion helps us celebrate this family that God has given us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he passed it. He broke it and he passed it. he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance. Of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he held it up and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. For as oft you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The challenge of life, difficulty of circumstance, pain and sorrow that we all face the opportunities that God has given us each day to be a display case of His glory, to to shine the beauty of the church throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads. Every day is filled with new details about how God would use us, how God would help us, how that God is for us, And we get to join each other to celebrate and to navigate and to weep and to rejoice together as the family. We celebrate today the blood of Christ shed to purchase our salvation, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to give us new life. And we commit ourselves to diminish the blemish of our church and of our lives together on this journey, leaning into the loving arms of Jesus, who desires to use us for His glory. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In these next few moments, O Lord, we give ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to you. As recipients of your grace and your love, we lean fully into your arms, counting on you to help, but committing ourselves to serve you. So in the crushing and in the pressing of life, we know that you are using this church and using your word and using the circumstances and by your spirit you are making us for the better. I pray that you would speak to our hearts in these next few moments that you would encourage us as we meditate on who we are and how you would use us in the days ahead for your glory's sake.